Well, um, Lord willing, just going to have a topical message here and cover three different scriptures that are similar in their theme and and just talk about it. And if you want to turn uh, to a couple of them, that's good. We're going to start with Revelation 2, and then while you're turning there, I may just give a little introduction. That was really good what John Mark said about parenting. I think it was either last week or a couple, two weeks ago. Just about you feel inadequate in a lot of ways to share about some things and that's how you know how I feel different times when you share something you want it to be real to you and it just it just isn't and that's kind of how I feel today really just asking the Lord Lord would you make this real to me you know I have I don't have the reality I want to have I want I want to see things the way you see things, the way the scripture says, and I just need help. And uh, I want to talk about, partly about discouragement, partly about endurance. And I just woke up this morning, you know, knowing that, and I felt discouraged first thing. You know, it's like, when I wake up, that's the first thing I felt. And I just... I just need help in it, you know, and so that's just a caveat going in, just that's how I think we all, I think many of us can see enough to see we want more, that we want more reality, we want more of what the Bible is saying about Christ and about God, and and so let's read a couple of these passages here and then we'll kind of get in talking more about it. Let's start in Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those that say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So the three different passages I want to talk about today have the one theme really of eternity, uh, about e- eternity, and con- contrasting it with the temporary, the temporal, the non-eternal, the transient. And we really see that in this first passage just an overview, we see they're going to have temporal sufferings. They're going to have 
suffering for a short amount of time. And he tells him it's going to be for 10 days. And that could be likely as symbolic of some finite measure of time. We don't know how long 10 days is. Maybe it's a literal 10 days. But my guess is that it's not literal, that it's longer than that. And he says, you're going to have temporary difficulty, temporary tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here's this crown of life, you know, unfading. It doesn't say that in this particular verse here, verse number 10, but we know that it is an eternal crown. It's an unfading crown that's eternal. Suffer temporarily. Look forward to eternity. How do we do that? Look backward to Jesus. That's what he says here. That's how it starts. Actually, all these letters to the churches start with something about Jesus. Then it talks about their situation. And then it goes back and relates the two. So look here at the beginning in in verse 8. What does it say about Jesus? The words of the first and the last the one who died and came to life. So who's coming to you? Someone who suffered for a time. And then what? Received an eternal reward. Received eternal life from his father. How does that relate to them? Verse, Jump down to verse 11. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What do the people who need to endure and suffer and die if need be, need to hear, they need to hear that Jesus is coming to them. He's the one talking to them who suffered and died. He's the one who died and it didn't end there. He was raised to life. So you see the connection there between Jesus, the one that's coming to them, and their situation. So let's, that's all just a short overview Let's jump on to the next passage and we'll get to where we kind of tie them all together a little bit more. But you'll see all the same things come up. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4 now. Second Corinthians 4. Why don't we start in verse 7. It's a little bit longer here. But notice all those same things come up. Jesus is the one who died and rose. Temporary suffering, eternal reward. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus 
and bring us into with you into his presence for it for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of god so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. We may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that we are, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is his due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We'll stop right there. So that was a lot, and reading more than one passage, there's no way we're going to be able to cover in depth even a portion of these, this topic and all the overlap between these different verses. The, really the one thing I, I want to focus in on is eternity. Eternity and looking to the things that are unseen, the eternal things, and that's 418. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so there's all these different themes overlapping here. And what's the goal? You know, I I was reading verse 16, and that's the verse that really struck me. So we do not lose heart. Some translations say, so we do not become discouraged. Well, I don't think anyone here would say, hey, I, I want to be discouraged. Um, nobody wants to be discouraged. And definitely nobody wants to be really, really discouraged. I mean, Paul, we're talking about something heavy here. I mean, Paul, earlier on in this letter, talks about we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I mean, he's very discouraged there. We despaired even of life itself. He's discouraged. He's despairing. Nobody wants to be like that, obviously. Well, why don't they lose heart? Why are they not discouraged? 
Well, it's looking to the things that are unseen, looking to the eternal things, looking to Christ, knowing that this is temporary. These are all things that help him. And things that I want more reality of. So how do we get there? There's one more passage I want to jump to just really briefly. And I, I can just read this one to you if you want. It's John 14. And it's so similar, strikingly similar, that I thought, well, why not read it and just take note of how similar this is. Let not your hearts... This is 14.1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So there's an interesting similarity. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why don't you let your hearts be troubled? Very similar to what Paul says. Don't let, lose heart or don't become discouraged. And their, and their answer is very similar as well. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's strikingly similar to what Paul says. A lot of the same language there. He's got a place. You're going there. You're going to be with the Lord. To be, you're going, He's going to come and He's going to be with us. Paul talks about uh, building eternal, not made with hands. And that's where we're going. It, all very similar, uh, strikingly similar in my mind. So here we are. We don't want to lose heart. We don't want to be discouraged. And first we need to say something about what it doesn't mean. okay? Because there's some things. I'm going to be kind of camping out in the Second Corinthians passage. Uh, since that was the longest one. And I'll reference the others. But if you want to stay there, that's where I'll be referencing most of the verses in the Second Corinthians 4. So what does he not mean when he says discourage? Well, the first thing he doesn't mean is he doesn't mean you don't groan, you don't have pain, you're totally um, happy and fine and there's nothing wrong. That's not what he means. You, we know that from all these words he says. He says we're not losing heart, but he does say in this life we're going to be groaning, we're going to be longing, and then he says we're going to groan again, and then he says we're burdened. He's saying all that, and yet he's saying he's not discouraged. He's not going to lose heart. So if we're saying we don't want to be discouraged, what we're not saying is you never feel any pain, any difficulty, or, or like you're where you don't want to be. And he actually specifically says that. He says he's longing to depart. He says that, well, I don't know, just read it here so I don't so I can get it word perfect. In verse 8 he says, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when he says he's not discouraged, he doesn't mean this is the perfect place. I'm where I want I always want to be. He's not saying that. He's saying I long, I groan, I feel pain, and I, I want, this is not ideal, I'm looking for something else, and yet I'm not, I'm not discouraged. I'm not going to lose heart. So that's what we're not saying. We're not saying that you never feel pain. Everything's big smile on your face all the time. Everything's going just how you want it to go. That's not what he means. And actually, the thing that really helped me a few weeks ago, Linda said something uh, really that really helped me. And she said that she 
does not have hunger pain. She doesn't, when she doesn't eat, she doesn't feel hungry. She, um, I think I might have said a double negative. Maybe I should say that again. Linda said that when she doesn't eat, she does not have hunger pain. When she should. She should feel hungry. She should feel pain. Like, ah, you need to eat. And I realized, I was thinking about that, and I thought, that's striking. That's kind of similar to a spiritual pain. And I think I kind of want to be like that spiritually. I think I want to be unhealthy. And it's not healthy for that to be the case, right? You should, if you don't eat, you should feel pain. Like something's wrong, something's missing, something necessary isn't here. But sometimes I feel like I want to be like Linda spiritually. I want to walk through life and see all these really hard things going on and just not feel it and not be hurting. Uh, see the you know marriages that are that are not the way they should be and are causing pain and think and just not feel it, not keep, not have it keep me up at night and go to work and see these kids you know that I work with that are very very needy and things are really really wrong. And just not feel pain, just not feel, not feel it, and just be comfortable. But you know what? That wouldn't be healthy. That would be wrong. It would be unhealthy for that to be the case. It might make me feel better, but it's not healthy or good. So my escape, sometimes my, I desire escape from discouragement in a way that's not healthy. And that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying not feel pain anymore. He's saying something different. He's saying he's not discouraged although he feels pain, although he's groaning, although he's not where he wants to be. The other thing I want to know is the other thing I want to note is that he's also not saying he wants to escape necessarily. He's not saying that although he would rather be with Christ, he's not saying the answer to his discouragement is getting out of the present situation. He's saying whatever his answer for discouragement is, it's in the present situation, right? He's saying he would rather be over there, but he's not right now, and he's not discouraged. He's not going to lose heart, even though he's still in it. And sometimes I get to feeling like that too. I feel like, here I am, I'm in this hard situation. I don't want to be discouraged. I just want to get out. I want to get out. I want to escape. I want uh, to not be in this hard situation. Which is fine to not want to be there, but that's not what his answer is for the discouragement. His answer is something different. And his answer for discouragement, what Paul's going to tell us, helped him, is so much more healthy and God-honoring and Christ-like than just not wanting to feel pain or wanting to escape, and that being the answer. Because that's not how Christ was, was it? I mean, Christ came into the world, and he didn't walk through it unfeeling, did he? He didn't walk through the difficult situations and just not enter in at all. In fact, it seems like he deeply entered in. He wept, you know, at the tomb with with Martha and Mary when Lazarus died. He didn't try and escape. He, he set his face like flint and he went to the cross. He entered in and yet 
I think we can see that he didn't want to be at the cross. In the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't saying, he wasn't praying to the Father and saying, wow, the cross is exactly where I want to be. This is perfect. This is just where I want to stay. He wasn't saying that. And yet, he didn't lose heart. He went on. He pressed on. Why? Well, he was looking forward. That's what it says, you know, he, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And that's really what Paul says here too. So just to recap, not being discouraged, not losing heart is not not feeling pain. And it's not just escaping. It's something in the difficulty. And what is it? Well, there's a few things. But one of them is looking to the things that are not seen, but to the things that are unseen. This is verse 18. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he's looking somewhere. He's got a, he's got a direction that he's looking, and that's helping him not lose heart, not be driven to despair. I mean, that's what he said up here in, in verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Well, he said earlier on that that's not how they were. Right? They, they were driven to despair at first in chapter 1, but God helped them and taught them something. And what he said they t- that he taught them was that he should rely on the God who's able to raise the dead. And that's kind of what he goes into here. That he is in the midst, he feels the pain, he's not, he's not saying, get me out right this second, and that's the answer. He's saying, right here where I am, I can have heart, I can trust the Lord, I can press on. In verse 6 he says, all be all, we are always of good courage. How is that possible? He's looking to the things that are unseen. He's not looking to the temporary things. He's not looking to these trials that just are going to last a few, he says, momentary trials. He's looking at what's going to come after. And what is that? What is going to come after? Well, it's going to be a new body. He's suffering in this body, but he's going to have a new body. He's looking at he's going to be with the Lord. What else? He's actually also looking at who's going to be there with him. That's what he says here. Let's look at that in verse chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, 14 and 15. He says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Then skip down to 14 of chapter 4. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, so there's that being with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence. So that's the others uh, that he's writing to. So this is a lot, and I'm throwing basically everything at you, and then I'm going to circle back around and review it all with kind of a physical illustration for everyone, but mainly for the kids. So what, if we don't want to be discouraged, if we want to press in, if we're in a difficult situation, we're feeling it, we know this isn't where we want to be, we don't want to lose heart, we look not to the things that are seen. We don't focus on these temporary difficulties we don't focus on what is immediately around us, the, the seen things. We look to the unseen things, which are what? God. 
We can't see him with us, but we know that he is with us and that one day we'll be with him and we'll see him. What else? We look to the newer heaven and the new earth. We can't see it yet, but one day all these things, all the sin, all the effects of sin are going to be fixed in our own bodies and outwardly in the world. There's not going to be any more sin. All these difficult things that are causing us pain right now should be causing us pain, right? When we see all the sin wreaking havoc in the world, should we feel like, oh, everything's fine. I feel really comfortable. I feel really good. Or should we feel like, wow, this is wrong. I'm uncomfortable. This hurts me to see these things. That's how we should feel. should not surprise us that we feel uncomfortable, that we feel troubled. But what do we do with that? We look not to that. We don't focus on, I'm teaching through World War II in my class right now, and it's horrible. It's so horrible. I can't teach the kids all the things I wish I could teach them because it's too graphic. I can't show them the documentary that I want to show them because it's rated R, you know, because that's how horrible it was. It's like if I just sat and focused in in my whole life on all the difficult things and, and all the broken things in the world, yeah, I would be overwhelmingly discouraged. But Paul is saying, don't. Don't look at that constantly. You've got to put it in perspective and look ahead to the new earth where there's not, that's n- never going to happen again. There's not going to be one, there's not going to be one murder in the new earth. There's not going to be one sin man to man in the new earth. That's amazing. So we're looking to the things that are not seen. And what is that? It's being with God. It's sin being dealt with. It's Jesus being with him. The reward of his suffering. He died and rose. And now all those that he died and rose for, they're all going to rise too. And they're going to share the life that he purchased on the cross. That's a good thing. That's an amazing thing. Don't look at the seen things, right? We're dying right now. Our body's dying. We're, we're living out a difficult season, the most difficult season of our eternity if we're Christians. We, we should not be focusing on that. What else is going to be there? What unseen eternal things should we look at? Well, other people around us, that you and me and everyone else, we could focus on the here and now. I could look at you and I could look at our present relationship that's seen and it's temporary, but you know what I want to think about and what Paul was thinking about? He was thinking about eternity. Thinking about when he's going to meet these people and they're all going to be brought into the presence of Jesus for eternity. So that's, um, that's everything I'm going to say and I'm going to circle back around and say it all again. I know that was a lot. Could I ask two favors, actually? Could someone grab one of the short little water bottles from the um, fridge back there? I forgot to grab one. And then uh, I need somebody to help me with this illustration. So, um, okay, perfect. I got my person. I'll call him. I'll have him help me this second. Okay, so this is for the kids. Well, it's for everyone, but mainly for the kids. So I got to... Actually, I didn't think this up, but I, and I thought it was good, so I'm going to use it. 
and pray that it helps you. This is a, let's call this the timeline of your life here. And this little white part is your time here on earth. Okay? So you're born here, and you die here, and the rest of this is entering into eternity. And so, just for the sake of ease on me, we'll just call this a hundred years. Let's say you live to be a hundred. And if we want to do what Paul said, it would be a big mistake to focus right here and to live right here and to set our eyes right here and to never look at this and to get bogged down right here because you, every one of you, has something difficult and it's right here. And you know what? It's temporary. It may last a hundred years, but even then it's temporary and it's going to end. And whatever happens here is going to last forever, much, much longer than the difficult thing you're going through right now. So what matters more? Is this like little sliver right here? Like, like let's say this is me. This Maybe this right here. If I live to be 100, I'm probably, well, I'd be a third of the way. So there's half. That's probably a third right here. So this is probably a third. This is probably where I am. Where I am. And this was a difficult year for me. Should I focus on that? Should I look at all the things that happened to me this year and really just... Well, it's, this verb is present. It's active. Should I actively, presently just keep looking at all these difficult things going on? Or should I look to the things that are unseen? Things that I can't see right now. Look to being with Jesus. Look to meeting Him, standing before the judgment seat. Look not to my present relationships, but to what the relationships are going to be like on judgment day. Look not to my present comfort, but look to what's preparing for here. That's what Jesus in Revelation is saying to the people. You're right here, you're in this life, and you've got a finite amount of suffering, and it's going to end. And if you endure, I'm going to... I'm going to be there. I'm going to raise you. And you're going to receive the crown of life and just press on. That's good. That's good news. And that's the same thing that Paul's saying. Saying, these are li- they're momentary. It's only going to last a time. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Look right here. And then look at all this. Because if this is your life, look at this. How are you going to feel like when you get to here? And this is what you endured. You're going to, I think you can see it now. It's like you're going to feel different. You're going to see like, wow, whatever I endured, I've already spent 10 times, 100 times as much time with Jesus as what I endured. And it was worth it. He was, he's worthy. couple more things. Think about sin. Think about what sin is. 
Sin is taking this little piece right here and looking at this little section and thinking, I can have just a present benefit, some pain taken away, or maybe I could have some finite momentary pleasure. But to do that, I have to break my relationship with God and do something I know is wrong. And that's going to affect you for all of this. How could it be worth it? How could this, even if it lasted a hundred years, what if you told one lie and you were a millionaire or a billionaire for a hundred years? Would it be worth it if it broke your relationship with God? Was that one lie worth it for a hundred years of, of temporary, uh, maybe, pleasure? Or escape from suffering? It wasn't. It can't be. Not when you look at it. Well, I'm going to ask somebody to help me. Did I have a volunteer here? Anybody? I mean... Okay. There we go. I just have to find the again. Keep going if you can. Perfect. That's good. Can you scoot this way so people can see it? Alright. I can't do this. I can't hold it up, but well, maybe I need more helpers. Why don't you lift it up? So here we are. Journey has a wide end down there. How are you going to feel when you get here to this end? Because remember, your suffering was like this, even if it lasted a hundred years. And look where we are. You know where we're at? We're, we're just beginning to enter eternity right here. If that's a hundred years, this, is, this isn't even 20,000 years right here. Can you imagine that? Thanks, Jeremy. So, let's just think about it together, and then we'll close. Just a, a word here to the Christian and to the lost person. To the Christian, I'm going to contrast the two, and I hope it will help both people. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What does it profit? That's what Jesus said. If you're a Christian, the worst things in your life, the worst things you're ever going to have to face for all eternity, they're right now and they're momentary. And the very best things cannot be taken from you. And they won't be forever. Your relationship with God, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, relationships with people that you help, that you're trying to help lead to the Lord, 
a clean conscience through the blood of Jesus. All these things, knowing Him, being with Him, all the best things are just beginning and they're not even, they're not even to their full, their full strength yet. We're not even with Him bodily. So all these best things are going to last forever. So think about that. The worst things are temporary. They're that short white piece and the best things are going to last forever. Now, what if you're lost? The best things in your life for all eternity can only last 100 years, max. The very best part of your life is that little white part and the rest of eternity is not. You, the only thing you have to look forward to is the worst part, is not being with God is not having a clean conscience. I mean, we know that our conscience is eternal because of what Jesus said in that story in Matthew about rich man and Lazarus. What is Lazarus doing in hell? His conscience is tormenting him. And he's saying, have mercy. Send somebody to my brothers to tell them. He, he had his good, and then the rest was a broken relationship with God, you know it's not worth that short amount of time. Was it, it was not worth living a pleasant, worldly life to break your relationship with God forever. All the valuable things, if you're lost, will be lost forever at the end of that white part. It's not a wise trade. It's foolish. For the Christian, we're looking to forward to eternity with God. It's never going to end. For the lost, we're looking, you're looking forward to an eternity apart from God. For the Christian, we're looking to the moment when we meet God at the judgment seat and our aim is to please Him. That's where we're living our life. We're looking for that moment where we enter into eternity and our aim is we want to please the Lord through faith in Him and His death, through love for others. We want to please Him with everything. For the lost, that moment that you enter eternity, the end of the white on your timeline, is the moment you stand before Jesus who you were not trying to please your whole life. For the Christian, you're looking for the, at the eternity of others and you're wanting to, them to press on. You're wanting them to know God and you're wanting good for them. And you're actively bringing good into their life if you're sharing with them, if you're praying for them. For the lost... It's the opposite. If you're not following Christ, you're definitely not leading others to Christ. And so you're actually pulling them along with you into an eternity of separation from God. You're actively doing eternal harm to people. That's fearful. On the other hand, Christians, what is it worth if that 
if that if this timeline is so, is someone being with Jesus forever isn't your whole life all the difficult things you've gone through worth one person being helped along the way right just one person being helped to praise God forever what happens when one person is saved from their sins and turned to the Lord an eternity of praise to God results from that one person. Infinite praise to God. Because for infinite, for the rest of eternity, that person is going to be praising God and enjoying God and knowing God. For the lost, how scary to be pulling people along with you into not knowing God. Look at the eternal benefit of turning from sin to God. It's a decision that will last forever. The benefits are endless. That this, I mean, in the mind of God, this you know rope illustration is, it's laughable how short the rope is. It's like, this rope doesn't even get to 100,000 years in heaven. And what is eternity? You know, it's going to be a million times a million times a million times a million, you know, and I could talk for 40 minutes saying times a million and that would just be the beginning. One thing I want to note here, this is the last thing I want you to say, to say and then we'll close is, let's think about that timeline one more time and think about the why as all of history where sin has, God's given sin an opportunity to reign. Not just your life, but all of history. So from the fall to when Jesus returns and puts everything right. Look at how long it's going to be right. It's going to be so mu- it's going to be right. Everything is going to be right so much longer than it was ever messed up. And things look so bad right now. It's like, how can this be? How can this be? And yet, it's going to be right. Just this rope is almost let's see if I can if I can do the math right in my head the rope is close to 20 times that short length to, sorry not 20 times 200 times is that right i think that's right the rope is close to 200 times that short length Yes, okay. Uh, don't want to do math up in front of everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is 200 times. So just this rope, it's going to be right. If this was all there was, which it's not, it's going to go on forever after this, 200 times longer, everything's going to be right than it ever was wrong. There's not going to be sin. There's not going to be anything messed up. Everyone's going to be right with God in the, in the world and yet, this is just the beginning, right, of eternity. God's going to put it all right. And so, my encouragement to you is, don't look to the momentary things. Don't trade some momentary sin or, or anything momentary for something that you could receive eternally from God, knowing Him, loving Him, being with Him, being forgiven by Him. 
don't despise helping others. I mean, the vast effect it will have in terms of eternity. Don't lose heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time, and I just do ask that. Yeah, I just do ask you to be helpful to one person. And I pray there would be one lost person here that would really think about you and what you did for them and how much the cross means in terms of eternity. And I pray you'd help them and open their eyes. And I pray that you'd really help one Christian. Would you just help them and bring them on? And would you give them... Would you help them be able, just be able to say, like, Paul, we don't lose heart. We're looking to things. Not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen and eternal. Lord, we want to honor you. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for what it means. We don't appreciate it like we would. Would you help us to feel more reality so we can appreciate Appreciate what you did more in terms of eternity and all that you purchased for us. We hand the rest of this day over to you. We love you, Lord, and we're thankful for you. And we do ask you to forgive us for all the all of our failings and um, cover us with grace by your blood. Amen.